As one of our most prolific living writers, Stephen King has been weaving the webs of our nightmares into terrifying tapestries for nearly 50 years. A blue-collar craftsman, King has toiled in several mediums from novels and short stories to film, television, and comic books. But what is the true essence of a Stephen King story? What makes his yarns so haunting and enduring? And what unique qualities does he bring to storytelling? Join the Bonsai Boys, Jay and Travis, as they explore the work of King in this four-part series. Stephen King. So Jay, when it when it comes to uh, vampires, right? Um, I mean, we're we're dealing with a whole smorgasbord of of different types of vampires, you know, mm-hmm. in the vampire oeuvre, if you will. Uh, okay. What what what's your favorite type of vampire? Oh, that's a good question. Yeah. What do you like? So, what do you like in your vampire? Give me some. Give me some of your vampire qualities. Your must-haves. Your ideal. Um, I, okay, so I assume you're talking about, like, 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 do you like, like, the smooth well, talking, let's, let's, like yeah, okay, Dracula, we have, oh, good, that's one, that's like a, the, the beast, like, the beast vampire, that's exactly so. how I would describe it, like, a Lost Boys type, mm-hmm. uh, then we have a, uh, the old, like, Nosferatu type vampire, uh-huh. which we'll be talking about, I'm sure, a little bit today, um, and then we have the like I'm not officially being called a vampire, but I'm some sort of seductive leech. I guess that kind of falls into the first one. Like, what do you like? What are your qualities? Do you like? I'm. I kind of like uh, like the Lost Boy vampire, like the young, reckless. Yeah, me too. Um, you know, uh, what, what, what's the name? Like the like. Not not really Bohemian because that that would be another one like the uh, uh, Only Lovers Left Alive. Yes, yes, Jim Jarmusch. You know? uh, that's another one. I I'd probably like yeah, like that. the gothic, like the gothic ones. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah like the uh, in Preacher they have the uh, uh, one, uh, the vampires in that are are like that too as well. Uh, I don't like that. That's my least favorite. No? Is I don't like the oh, bon- I don't like the the bondagey gothic ones. The only lovers left alive are a little bit different. I did like them, but they're so exhausting. Just like <laughs> oh, it's such a curse to live forever. It's such a curse. Already. I've seen everything. Ooh, new Spider Man. Oh, that, I'm glad I'm alive for that. <laughs> PS6. <laughs> All right. This vampire <laughs> shit's paying off. I was alive when there was a PS1. Yeah, we all were. Pretty much like half the population was. Well, I'm a young vampire. So what do you think? What's your favorite? Uh, I like a Lost Boys. I like a Beast type as well. I do like when you have the turn, when they turn into a vampire. I like them to be able to have a human form. So, as scary as the Nosferatu types can be, I do like their ability to share a human form. But when they turn, I want that beast mode. I want them to go into beast uh, mode. I want that, that nose to kind of wrinkle up. I want those fangs to be more than just two fangs. There needs to be some real... I like a, a, real, I like a real toothy vampire. 
<laughs> I hear you. So uh, I can real do something, do some damage to that flesh. Yeah, like I want to be like, I want to be, I want to be jump scared by a vampire, which and sometimes in a vampire film can be hard to do depending on the style of the vampire. Like a Bela Lugosi vampire, like that's gonna be hard to jump scare. Yeah, it's just like an old I fancy guy that. jumping out at you <laughs> like in, like in his pajamas. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Jeez, Liberace. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Did I scare you? Oh my gosh. <laughs> Is that even what Liberace sounds like? <laughs> it's close enough, man. Welcome to the Pop Bonsai Podcast. Jay, new set. We got a new set. Brand new. Brand new. Coming into is September te- technically fall. Does that fall into it, fall? It, technically, it's going to be fall in like two weeks. Okay, from, so like, that's probably when no this September. episode will come out. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Perfect. You're listening. This uh, we timed this perfectly. This episode hits. At the uh, uh, first on on the first official day of fall, I looked that up. Uh, I did my you, research. Yeah. I woke up at midnight on the first day of fall, uh, a Mer- Western time zone, and I dropped this the second fall That's hit. So commanded. If, if, if you look outside, the the leaves should be changing right yep. about now. Yep, it should happen. Yep. Like yep, uh, and I Smell did. I spice. I did all of this. Because I feel like our topic deserves it. I feel like our set topic for the next four episodes deserves the pageantry of a well-timed release. Uh, Jay, what are yeah. we talking about? Oh, Jay, what are we talking about? Well, <laughs> what is the set about? We're gonna be... <laughs> <laughs> Hold on, let me, let me get my notes. Uh, so we're going to be talking about uh, Salem's Lot. The uh, Ooh, we gotta talk about we gotta introduce the set series. first. We gotta talk about that set. We oh, haven't even talked oh, yeah, about what the yeah, set yeah. is. Oh shit! I'm getting ahead of myself. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so this set is gonna be brought to you by Mr. Stephen King. Stephen Root. Oh, oh you were doing Stephen King? I thought we were doing Stephen Root. I watched Office <laughs> Space. I can't think of anything else Stephen Root's in off the top of my head. <laughs> I know. Uh. Yeah, yeah, no, not that's not no Stephen King, horror author, extraordinaire. Uh I guess he's just not not just horror, but you know, science fiction fantasy. He's a storyteller. He's um, he's he's yeah. one of uh, America's greatest storytellers. Oh dude, I, I, I will say, say he's one American of his, treasure. He is certainly one of America's most prolific storytellers. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. That dude needs to get a life. <laughs> You know, sometimes you complain like, oh, man, I did too many podcasts. I don't have enough time to do that. And Stephen King's like, I wrote four books last week. Yeah, yeah. There's like a whole wing of, of Stephen King at Barnes & Noble. Right. You could, probably, you could probably fill up a library just with the amount of uh, novel blurbs he's written, you know, 
like introductions to others, <laughs> authors and things like that. It feels like when you open up any kind of genre book, it's like forward by Stephen King. Yeah. And you're like, man, and it's like eight pages. Not double spaced. Typewriter. He's a wordy dude. Yeah. <laughs> Size eight font. Size eight font. Yeah. yeah. He's a wordy dude. But yeah, so so uh, this time, this episode, we're going to talk about uh, Sam's Lot, the miniseries that uh, aired on television in 19, uh, was it 79, right? Yeah. Not to be confused yeah. with Sandlot. No, definitely not. But Sandlot and does have some Stephen King aspects to it, I will say. You think? Yeah, like the fair, <laughs> the kids chewing tobacco at the fair and barfing over each other. That's like Stephen King 101. Am I, am I, am, am I right on this, Jay? It's very stand by me. Yeah. I assume. Yeah. Pre-pre best and boys acting older, getting into shenanigans they shouldn't shouldn't be in. Bonding. Yep. Bo- all the wa- bonding. Old-timey you know. 1950s uh, America, Americana. Papa Americana. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so we're doing Salem's so, Lot, and you, and you gave the year yeah. uh, on that out. Uh, this is, of course, a um, the... Uh, well, it's it's out now. If you if you if you rent it on uh, a streaming platform, you buy the DVD. You're gonna get it. it. Looks like a movie, but it was not actually not released as a movie. It was released as a two episode miniseries, or I guess they don't know yeah. if we call it a miniseries or two night special. Um, so we, the runtime on this bad boy is a like three hours, just a little over three hours. It's mm-hmm. a long vampire. Uh, yeah, film. yeah. A version like a uh, an hour and a half version did come out in in select theaters overseas. Mm-hmm. I hear. Yeah, in England because they were like repackaging this as a movie in London. Yeah, but no, I demanded I demanded Travis watch uncut three hours. Yeah, <laughs> and I saved it till the end of the week, and then I felt <laughs> real under the gun. <laughs> Under the fang, if you will, I felt like I felt like Jay's mouth was hovering right above my pulmonary artery, and he was just like, ah, "Finish it!" I'm like, "I gotta finish this movie." I'm scratching outside yeah. the bedroom window. Yeah, oh. yeah. That that scene, by the way, reminded me so much. We're ta- Jay is, of course, talking about maybe the the spookiest, creepiest scene in this movie. So we're gonna jump ahead for a second here, as before, we, then come back and introduce it because I've got to address the scratching scene. One of the creepiest scenes, oh, yeah. little boy vampire is scratching at the window. And I there are about three or four scenes in this movie that I feel like Buffy the Vampire Slayer directly ripped off. The <laughs> like the, the movie version of it. Remember when Luke Perry is sitting in his apartment and then uh David Arquette's character is floating and he's like, Come on, let me in Pike, let me in Pike. Oh, and he goes, yeah. You're floating, Benny! Benny, look at you. You're floating, man. Come on, Spike. Let me in. You're floating, man. Get out of here, bro. <laughs> I'm hungry, Spike. Spike, I'm hungry, Pike. <laughs> I want to just add that the movie was so much better than the TV show. I I, I may be in the minority of thinking that. But like, oh, yeah. I really enjoyed I agree. the movie. The- and and, I'm, and then I saw a TV show. I'm like, what? It's actually why is this even being called the same thing? It's like not even the same. And at I all. liked I liked the TV show. It but it was a different like the character of Buffy. The the airheaded character that they made her was was so much cooler than 
Sarah Michelle Geller, who you didn't buy. You know, there was no emotional turn. She always just kind of seemed like an outsider. Because at that point, she'd already slayed vampires. So I guess we're, we're yeah. seeing the grown. I guess, I guess it works. I mean, Josh Whedon, rest his little canceled heart, is uh, wrote <laughs> both of them. So. Him and Pepe Le Pew. Pepe Le Pew. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. what is what is um uh, Salem's Lot about? Because we're going to talk about Salem's Lot, but we're also going to be we're going to this is going to be our first episode on King, and so some of the questions we're probably going to try to figure out is like what is the essence of a King story? Uh, maybe uh, whether it is a film adaption of his, whether it is a uh, 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 a story of his, or whether it is a disciple of King. Uh, what makes something that's not written by King, Stephen King-esque? Um, I'm sure that's going to come up a lot in these uh, next four episodes. And that's kind of what we're going to go uh, into in Salem's Lot. But before we do that, we're doing a little bit of housekeeping up front here. Is I want to ask Jay, what's your exposure to King? Um, so my mom was a huge Stephen King fan. I think like my mom fucked Stephen King. I'm like, oh, the fuck? Are you kidding me? <laughs> I wouldn't be You're here so right now. lucky, I man. I wish my mom <laughs> fucked Stephen King. Like now. <laughs> I was a product of that relationship. <laughs> uh, <laughs> God, that'd be so cool. I'm so, I'm so jealous of Joe Hill. <laughs> so, yeah, she was a huge Stephen King fan. She, uh, Ever, I, man, ever since I can remember, I mean, I was born in 1975, and ever since I can remember, she had Stephen King books. What's how you say room. King in Spanish? Rey. So, uh, Stefano Rey. Stefano Rey. Stefano Rey. I am a Stefano Rey fan. <laughs> Stephen King? Yes. See? Si. <laughs> uh, you got my riddle. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so your mom was a big fan, so it was always around. Oh yeah, yeah, and and she always had his movies, um, and uh, I remember also uh, watching a lot of Stephen King movies before I was age appropriate. Because <laughs> I remember watching like Christine and Firestarter and uh, Carrie, um, all those early Cujo? Stephen King movies. Cujo, uh, yeah, all of those uh, before Shining. Uh, I, you know, and right around when they came out. So I would probably be like four or five years old, six yeah. years old, well, growing up with all that. Stuff. I guess if you're a kid and you're being introduced to horror, Stephen King, first decade of writing stories, second, you know, the, you know, those films that are, even if they were adapted after the the 70s, if they're based on a novel that was written in the 70s, that kind of first 10 years, they're not a bad, not a bad entryway for a kid to get into horror. Because they are scary, for sure. And they're certainly inappropriate as far as language and some of the relationships they show and, like, drug use and all that stuff. But as far as can a kid tolerate that? I think it just hits that that threshold of what the average kid can probably tolerate with horror at a young age. Oh yeah, dude. I mean, I remember uh, like Maximum Overdrive. Mm-hmm. You know, that's it's a like, truck, that's that a truck one, a right? Yeah, you know, and anything really, as far as I remember, that graphic or that. There's not a lot of gore. Maybe in Carrie, there was like some gore at the end, um, but. 
it was it was a lot of fantastical things as opposed to like gore what do you think the shining could be i feel like i didn't watch the shining until i was a teenager and i felt like that was a little too much for me even then but i think as a kid though you probably it probably isn't as scary because you know you're not understanding maybe the psychological aspects of that as you do when you get older but like you are understanding like the the creepy twins the the wave of blood, uh, the old lady yeah. in the tub, like those visuals. Kubrick does make that really scary, and Jack Nicholson comes across as like, oh my god, this looks like my like my dad when he's been drinking, you know. We all, I mean, <laughs> even the maze, yeah, yeah. The maze at the end was pretty yeah. creepy too. Yeah, I had a lot a lot of <laughs> men in my life when I was a young kid. Kind of turned the they would always drink, you know, at the house. They always get together and drink in the the eighties, and they would they get. They get scary, man. Those dudes get scary. Those were like baby boomer dudes getting drunk. <laughs> yeah, dude. I'll tell you, Mexican families weren't all that different because, yeah. like, all my birthday parties, Easter, like any holiday, they all get together and drink. Yeah, it, you know, it was all an excuse to drink, and so yeah, it got uh, it got rough. Nice. It was rough out there. <laughs> Yeah, I would say uh, I, I want to make this clear before we start talking King on four issues. I'm actually I'm actually really excited to do this because King. I'm always surprised that someone will tell me a story like, "Oh, have you read that story or seen that movie?" I'm like, "Yeah." Like, I'm like, "Oh yeah, did Stephen King do that?" I go, like, "Oh yeah, I guess that is a Stephen King." I'm like, "Wow, yeah." yeah. Uh, so as I look through Stephen King's uh, career and back catalog of stuff whether it be comics or books or screenplays or whatever it is. Uh, I'm surprised, like, oh, my, oh yeah, I have read that. I have seen that. But there's so much that I have not seen or read or am aware of that is allotted by Stephen King fans. So I'm in no way a King head. Uh, that's why I'm looking right. to this. So I want to put that out there as Jay and I talk about this. If you're tuning into this podcast because you searched up Stephen King and this podcast came up, we are going to be discovering King together, talking about some things from our past that we did know and and uh, how that's coming up and what we're listening and viewing to right now. But I don't think either of us... I mean, because uh, that, that's a badge that I would love to wear. I think that it, it's... It, it, of all the authors that kind of... Especially now with what I think about storytelling, I think that he's so blue-collar in his approach to it. I really like that. Yeah. I would love to say I've been on the Stephen King train since day one, that I was a little kid reading Stephen King short stories. Uh, but no, he's just kind of touched my life here or there in different w- ways, in movies or in a few books or uh, some comics mm-hmm. and things like that. Um, so I'm really excited to, to, to get to know Stephen King a little bit more. I know him most for writing the number one book on writing called Stephen King's On Writing. Oh my gosh, this book is fantastic. Even if you're not a writer, it's fantastic. Basically, the book really? is broken down into two parts. Um, the first part is like an autobiography of his writing career, which is fantastic because it talks about like how he's a struggling writer, writer and a teacher and addicted to drugs and like nicotine and and how he had failed so many times and what he liked and and what editors were saying to him uh, till like his first successful novel. The second half of the book is all about what he calls his writing toolkit, the things that a good writer needs to have in their toolkit, and all these great metaphors for what writing is 
and how to kind of approach it. So some practical approaches that you that you could have in there, and uh, there are some really great metaphors. So I've probably bought and given away a good dozen copies of that book. Because um, so, anytime I have a, a kid who I had several times in high school, uh, when they graduate, if they if if they show any talent as a writer, I always give them that book and you know inscribe it like read this book at some point because this will this will want you, make you want to start writing. So that's wow. where I would say that is my favorite King is just keeping Stephen King as a writer. And I also watch a lot of his interviews where he talks about his writing on YouTube. Like those are really fun. Cause there's so many of them where he'll sit for like an hour at like a convention and people will just ask him questions about writing and he'll just, you know, you're talking from a guy who, who he, he writes every day. He's been doing it for decades upon decades. So uh, that's kind of the Stephen King that I know. Really interesting. And uh, let's not forget, he's also a big uh, punk rock fan. He's got a band. He's like a huge, yeah, he's like a huge Ramones fan. He's a huge like Rancid fan. Yeah. <laughs> Is he? Oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't know in fact, that. If you, if you search Rancid and Stephen King, there's pictures of him like hanging out with the dudes with like Lars Fredrickson. Oh, we're going to get more on that in the playlist episode. We're going to talk about <laughs> Stephen King's band with Dave Barry and like uh, all these different people in it. So that save that we'll save that for the musical uh, Stephen King episode. All right. So Salem's Lot. So um, Salem's Lot, his second novel uh, that he wrote. Um, in his career, um, I'm not sure. Did he, I? I I heard that he he wrote the screenplay for this, but then I heard he didn't write. I've heard two different things, like the teleplay for this uh, special um, Salem's Lot. We, let me, oh, I never heard he had anything to do with the screenplay. Maybe not. Maybe, maybe not, he maybe did. Not. Um, uh, I will look that up once I turn over the the conversation to Jay here. But so uh, Salem's uh, Lot basically is. A, a, a story that follows this um, small town in Maine. It's not Salem, Massachusetts, uh, which at first I thought, I'm like, oh, this is Salem. I'm like, of course, it's Stephen King. It's Maine. Um, and about this uh, writer, again, Stephen King, who uh, uh-huh. <laughs> goes exactly back to his you. boyhood uh, home where he had kind of left as a child because he believes he he has this memory of encountering this this house and going into this this house that has a history in this town uh, for like murder and occult things attached to it and he has this memory of of going into this house and seeing the proprietor of that house hung hang hung from the rafters of the house and that that person the body opens its eyes and looks at him and he runs away and he leaves town doesn't come back. Now, as a published author, he's coming back to town to write a book about this house. And along the way, he encounters a cavalcade of characters who populate this main town. And uh, as these people kind of go through their lives and have their affairs and do with their business, we start to find out that there's something going on here. People are getting sick. People are disappearing. People are turning up dead. And our young uh, writing protagonist, uh, let me get his name here, the character's names, I don't keep... Oh, this is Ben Mears, uh, this ben. is Ben Mears, uh, played by David Soule. I can't remember if David Soule was Starsky or Hutch. I forget which one he was. I think it was Hutch. Hutch. I want to say Hutch. Yeah, well, I mean, he's the blonde one. 
Yeah. <laughs> Very blonde. <laughs> um, so uh, uh, Ben Ben Mears is the character d- believes that everything that's going wrong in this town is attached to this house, and we, the audience in the movie, find out early that uh, that the the main evil force from this house is a vampire spirit who is turning people in the town to vampires who are turning other people into vampires. So as this movie goes on, this town literally gets like bitten up, man, like summertime mosquitoes in this town Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. until at the end we are forced confrontation between Ben, his little side buddy, pal, Mark. Yeah. And his little horror fan, Mark, the vampire, Uh, but, yeah, and to answer your question, yes, Stephen King does share a writing credit on okay. this. That's important, I feel so. like, if we're going to talk about the story, to realize if did he have a hand in the actual writing of this. Because I haven't read Salem's Lot, the novel. I know some things about it, uh, just from people I've heard who have read it, but I have not my, myself personally read it. Yeah, um, I haven't read it either, and I went in and read a synopsis of it, and I was really surprised at how uh, a lot of this, I mean, you know, you can, every adaptation is different, you know, but it does follow it pretty well. You know, it hits like a lot of the the, the main plot points and... Uh, pretty pretty well yeah i think it's around a 400 page novel and they give this three hours runtime that's not bad to hit to hit um 400 pages in three hours that's doable Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. now so go ahead go ahead please oh i was gonna stay i was just gonna keep talking about the movie about the writer coming to town being drawn to the house so let's talk about that let's talk about the 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 writer as the central protagonist in a Stephen King story, because this is something that is so King, you know, (laughs) Stephen King loves two things. Like his heroes are always writers or teachers. Now I love that. I love the fact that Stephen King was a high school teacher before he became, I look look this up and there's an article that talks about Stephen King. And I think he talks about it on writing when he was teaching in like 1970, it was 1973 or 19, 1976. He was getting paid $6,800 a year. Now, it was the 1970s, but even for the 1970s, that's a joke. I remember my mom telling me how much she got paid for teaching in the the 60s and 70s. And you're just like, oh, my God. No wonder, like, you could, like, smoke in a classroom and you could hit a kid because you had to have some kind of benefit back then. (laughs) Some kind of outlet. So that's who, you know, Stephen King very much does put his fantasy self, I don't think I'm saying anything new here, into his characters. You know, yeah. whether it's cool. the Shining. I mean, yeah, it's because he makes them always assholes, too. I think Stephen King has had a very low self-esteem about himself. That's interesting. That's interesting. So you think the character was kind of an asshole? You think? David Soul's character is kind of an asshole. Yeah, I think David Soul probably was kind of an asshole. Um, and it comes across in uh, the character. But I think that's on... I, he, I bet in the book that's on the page. <laughs> I bet it's in the page, too. He was a little pretentious, yeah. A little he, sure of himself. A little sure. pretentious, a little sure of himself. <laughs> one of the things that bothered me in this was... Well, I, I, in one way I connected with it, and I saw the, the assholery in myself, is when he's dealing with this little school marm in this story, his love interest, 
uh, not oh, Julie, yeah, yeah. is that Julie Susan. Cobb? Uh, yeah, uh, uh, Bonnie Bedelia plays Susan in this, uh, and Susan's like reading his book, right? And he comes in, he's doing like the, oh, that's my book, you know, I wrote that, and he's like, I want to take you out to dinner, but I want, how did you? I want to, you didn't answer my question, and then later she's doing, she has a really good. It's a really good character in the fact that they hook up and she's like, what are you thinking right now? Like, what are you thinking? Are you, you're probably thinking this. And that's happened to me so many times where it's just the most dreadful question. First of all, in this movie, you can't have them fully clothed after they fuck. Like, at least have <laughs> like them putting on their clothes. I'm like, did they fuck or not? Because they are fully clothed. <laughs> And they are they are outside next to a lake. I mean, they, they had to have laid down some stuff. This was not a sexy fuck. This was like, it's like summertime in Maine. We're by a lake. Nature. There's bugs. And we're, oh, we're, yeah. we're dressed in 1970s regalia here. And she's like, as soon as like they finish, a uh, clean finish, very proper. Uh, I think he just zip, unzipped. And <laughs> this is a very workman-like way of doing this. <laughs> she's she goes and she's like uh i, I know you're thinking uh, uh you're probably thinking that this and he, that's what you were thinking right he goes no i actually wasn't thinking anything and, <laughs> and he's just like and she's like i know i talk a lot i ask a lot of questions and he's like yeah and i don't give a lot of the answers and i feel i was like wow what an asshole thing to say but then i've probably said those exact, exact same things dozens <laughs> of times in my life in that in those same situations just like uh yeah like i just you're, you're coming at me with a lot of energy right now. You're coming at me with a lot of couple energy right now, and I, and I just can't. It, it struck so real to me, and it made me hate that character and self-loathing hate myself. So do you think that he's projecting like himself into this character or like an idealized version of himself. Like, do you think those are the things he wishes he would have said in those situations? Well, from what I know of Stephen King that he's written about, like in that biography I was telling you about, um, you know, in that time he was an alcoholic. He was a drug user. He was using cocaine. Um, he wasn't the best to his wife at the time, uh, you know, because he was working all day teaching. And then he was going home and writing and drinking, you know. Yeah. Um, and... So in a story, you need a protagonist. You need a hero. Uh, oftentimes, it's not unusual for a writer to put part of themselves into the heroic character. But Stephen King is unable to do that without making a lot of his, especially male main protagonists, unlikable. Now, he, he, the brilliance of it is that we, even though they're unlikable, we do have empathy for them. You know, whether it's, you know, Jack Nicholson in The Shining or or Starsky in uh, this movie. You you have empathy for them. And he's not a huge asshole in this movie. He just gives off little asshole vibes, right? Um, yeah, yeah. And, uh, I agree. So, I don't know. I think that, that feels very early King. This kind of drug user, alcoholic, bad husband, riding these heroes in un fantasizing himself as the hero, these nebbish writers coming into these situations where they can play the hero, um, but ultimately un being unable to self-loathe in the character and to show the, the darker side of that. Yeah, yeah. It'll be interesting. interesting to see if we see that in... I haven't finished all the short stories that we're reading, uh, 
Uh, it'll be interesting to see if that comes up. Because that was a little bit later. The uh, We're going to be reading the Skeleton Crew, uh, and that was a little bit later in his writing career than um, what the this era of his, his early writing. Carrie and Cujo and um, uh, even like the stand and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I definitely think that the character in this thinks himself higher than the small town bumpkins that surround him. You see that when he uh, enters the boarding house. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Like, you know, here, here he is accomplished writer, published author, you know, in, you know, land of, of small town Hicks essentially, you know, and he knows it. I think he knows it. And he um, he's writing but, stuff that's like a bit crass, a bit avant-garde, a bit out there, right? I think that's why the cop at yeah, first is uh, like, I want you to keep an eye on him because the stuff he writes about don't fly in this town. Yeah. Yeah, law just don't go around here. <laughs> hey, law dog. <laughs> I'm law around here, law dog. Avant-garde don't come around here. Also, Stephen dog. King always... <laughs> Stephen King also hates dogs. I feel like <laughs> I feel like dogs don't end up well in Stephen King stories, um, like in Cujo or in this one. Poor graveyard guy's dog gets it. Loud dog. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that's grave dog. Grave dog don't grave dog don't fly around here, dog. Wow, I never really thought of that before, but that's fun. that's pretty hilarious. Um, so yeah, so he he forms this relationship with this this young teacher um and what what did you think of like okay so they talk about the house being evil being in, like inherently evil and then that's what draws the vampires to that house so how did you like the the, the introduction yeah, of Yeah, you know vampire. what? I guess I didn't even think about it that way. You're right. It, you're so obviously uh, correct there. But they had this whole speech about how, you know, the history of that house isn't a history of vampires per se. It's a history of evil. And he says, oh, you know, evil. and he talks to his, of course, his mentor teacher, you know, the English teacher right. that he had, who's, who, who's, who I who's think... great. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. And I was going to say, and I think he's like the one character he sees as an equal yes in, in that yeah because that was his that was his that's who taught him you know and he's like mm. oh you left at 11 i'm like what were you teaching this guy at 11 where you're like like in fifth grade english like <laughs> what were your lessons like where he's learning the you know like how to be a writer you know i, I don't know what they were teaching fifth out. graders because i just got done teaching sixth grade and i'm not looking at any of these kids being like yes i'm gonna take you under my wing you are the next writer um, but oh, yeah, Lord. he's great. And he has that, that great conversation. He's like, well, if, if evil draws houses, then how come you're here? Yeah. And he's like, I don't know. That's, that was a really good scene and a really good line. Um, and it made you skeptical of the character. Like, is this guy going to right. be a good guy? Cause you know, Stephen King's not afraid of turning his protagonist into a villain. Uh, all a shining, I guess, I guess you can order, uh, or argue Jack isn't the protagonist of so that would be the boy. Um, but, um, so yeah, I, I I I I love that aspect of it. It's easy to see this as a vampire uh, story, but it's really a haunted house story. Uh, yeah, with a a vampire uh, climax. Um, vampire yeah. just happens to be the source of evil. You could tell the story again 
Uh, I think they tried to with Return to Salem's Lot, uh, a movie that I don't think King had anything to do with. Um, but yeah, I do like that it's, it is a haunted house. And I think that what that allows this story to do is something that I, I think is another King, uh, a relic of King is the, relic's the wrong word there. Um, another uh, aspect of King is King is, he loves, almost to a fault, of building these giant world communities around his small stories. Um, meaning that he takes a story that you could tell in 100 pages, and he'll tell it in 400 pages just so he can explore the town more. You know, yeah. uh, he, he, the, you know, like the same way some fantasy writers can tell like a shorter version of a fantasy story and you still get the main beats. But someone like Tolkien will tell that same story in like 800 pages. Uh, King seems to take, and I think it probably comes from his early love of genre and fantasy and things like that, where even oh, though he's well, telling yeah. these realistically psycho dramas, he wants the world to feel big and lived in. Uh, and that to me feels very King. Um, yeah, these big. Do you like that? I do. do like I do. I think. I think it can yeah. make. I can. I think it can make King a challenge to read. I think it can make King a challenge to read f for some people who don't have the patience for world building out in directions right. that don't necessarily pay off. Right. Because I got a feeling Salem's Lot, the book. There's. I know it has a lot more characters in it, and I got a feeling that not all those characters are necessary. Oh right. I mean. There's a lot of characters in the adaptation and this that we saw that weren't necessary. Yeah. <laughs> was, you know, I, I remember re, uh, I couldn't remember all of it because it's been a while since I've seen it, but I'm sitting there thinking, uh, you know, especially like Fred Willard's character. I'm like, where, what is this? Well, I don't remember this, mm -hmm. you know, and sure enough, it had absolutely nothing to do with the core storyline, which I am totally fine with, and I knew you would be, mm -hmm. which is why I I recommended you watch the the, the the three hour version because a lot of that world building makes the like you said it, it makes the payoff that much more it makes the the events that much more impactful and I knew you would agree with that um, yeah which is you know why I, I wanted you to read that <laughs> and, I, and i think it's I, I think it's, you know like in the stand he does it in the stand too of course it's a little bit more apocalyptic of course but you get more than you need uh it's yeah. all he uh, king always gives you the extended version of a story yeah. he you always get the director's cut like he writes with the director's right. cut you know some some and maybe maybe it's Maybe it's, I don't know how long he's been working with his editor, if he's had like two editors in his career or, or he bounces off a lot of them or he does a lot of self-editing at this point. But there doesn't seem to be a lot of self-editing in Stephen King stories. If a, if a chapter feels like it doesn't fit, I feel like King's going to keep it in anyways. Yeah. I feel like you'd have to really talk him into cutting stuff down. I think he yeah. kind of... Uh, under the Dome is another yeah. one that's... I was going to bring that one up, you know, that, that whole idea of like such a, such a cool concept, really cool scenes, but like a lot of like, Oh my God, can we get back to like the cool <laughs> shit? Oh, I'll tell you who, what, who is necessary in this movie and who should not be cut is the character of Bonnie. Ooh, I love me some Bonnie. I don't know what it is. She's not traditionally like a, a like a sexy female character in here, but something about Bonnie in this man, I just, Boom, I was boom 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 boom, 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 Bonnie. <laughs> I one, she did a fantastic performance. 
Uh, two, that outfit she's wearing with like the silk, like seventies shorts and like the like the <laughs> like the kimono jersey. I was and like they had her on the phone and it was shot. There's some, there's a couple of really beautiful shots in this uh, this film that feel like a bigger budget than it had. And there's also some some really hokey shots. Yeah, but there were some ones. That like when he when the the English teacher's having the heart attack and the camera's following him down the hall and onto the bed and it angles yeah. up so he, like he's trying to grab the camera shots of our main protagonist uh, at the typewriter uh, that feel very Kubrick you know uh, where the typewriter hero shot of him typing at the typewriter but one of those shots is Bonnie in those shorts man <laughs> it felt like a, it felt like an eighty slasher slumber party movie shot. Uh, oh, yeah. With her in those shorts, it's and just, Toby Hooper, because yeah. it's Toby Hooper. Toby Hooper. Yeah, so. we should mention Toby Hooper, director of this. Of course, <laughs> um, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. You know, yeah. Toby Hooper at this time period. This was originally supposed to be directed by uh, Romero. Romero I was given the that. reins, and he and Hooper had kind of coalesced together, and they were gonna, they were trying to get something to work on together. Uh, and when <clears throat> it was originally gonna be shot as a feature film. A couple people wanted the rights. King sold it to the company who paid him the most money, but but also allowed him the least amount of say in the final cut. Um, mm. Originally, when it was a film, Romero was being tapped to direct it, but once they decided that it was going to be a two-episode longer-form miniseries, Romero decided that, that wasn't going to work mm. with his vision and backed out, and he gave it to his friend Toby Hooper. Interesting, man. I did not know that. And when you, I don't know what Toby Hooper looks like. I've never seen a picture of him, but in my head, I imagine Hooper from Jaws. So I imagine like someone who looks like Richard Dreyfus in like a beanie directing this movie. <laughs> I'm gonna look up his. I'm gonna look up Toby Hooper right now. See if I'm anywhere close. Rem- Go ahead. I think you are kind of close. I think you okay. are kind of close. Um, but yeah, you know what? For some weird reason, one of my favorite shots in this movie is when they were in the house and it was a, a, a wide shot and you oh, see the, the little boy Mark going across the hall and you see Susan coming like out of the door, like under, like it, it was like he crossed over her and she was coming out. And I think the thing that was really interesting to me is that they managed to capture Mark's like fury and Susan's like bewilderment in the same shot, and they like crossed over each other, and I'm like, "Whoa, that is really that cool. is an excellent shot too." I, you're 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 absolutely correct. Um, I just want to show you <laughs> how close I have never seen a picture of Toby Hooper. I think I remember. <laughs> yeah, dude, I easily see that. If your name's Hooper, you only get one look. <laughs> you gotta run with it. And it is a nerdy, it. nerdy fisherman. <laughs> wow. <laughs> that made my day. Nerdy fisherman. Dude, if I ever have a kid, I'm getting to the age where um, I guess I, I'm 37. You can have kids in your 40s. Um, yes. Dude, I, I remind me. I'm putting this on you because I'm not writing it down. I need you to remind me, like, if I'm like, hey, uh, uh, Jay, I'm having a kid. It's a boy. You just you remind me, dude, Hooper. First name, <laughs> Hooper Rats. Like, you know, like, 
there's going to be, like, he's going to be real nerdy as a kid, but there's going to be a 10-year sweet spot. If I name him Hooper, he's going to look great. He's going to have a real great even look it, about him. He'll wear, he'll wear like, chambray, girl, chambray shirts. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, even if it's a girl you're having. Uh, uh, okay, yeah, Hooper. I don't know if I want my girl to look like Richard Dreyfuss and Joss. <laughs> Now, Cooper, I wouldn't smoke. mind her looking like Winnie Cooper. If you, you think all Coopers look like Winnie Cooper? No. Okay. Maybe all Winnies might look like Winnie Cooper. Okay. Ooh. Or, or Winnie the Pooh. Or Winnie the that Pooh. It's a bad. rough one. It's a 50-50. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> so, yeah. So, we talked about a couple things here that I think are, are going to come up again in Stephen King chat. And that is putting himself into the story... And creating these big communities, uh, uh, unnecessarily large communities that feel very lived in. Yeah. Yeah, for what sure. What I didn't see in this movie, let's talk about some things that we, we saw. Well, I want to ask you something about the, uh, let's go back to our, our main character here. Didn't you want that to be someone else? Wasn't uh, David Soul a little bit too macho, a little bit too for like this kind of writer character? little bit he was a, his performance yeah, wasn't was bad little, his performance wasn't bad he was but. a little overbearing is that what you mean like a little too over, like like he, uh, he was yeah. dialing up he needed to be a little bit more nebbish a little bit more like so i thought of the perfect perfect 1990s fan casting for this movie jeff daniels in that role in the 1990s Maybe it's because he's blonde and i was associating that with the character jeff daniels as that role and Eddie Furlong, Edward Furlong as Mark. Interesting, interesting. See, when you said Jeff, I thought for sure you'd say Jeff Goldblum. Jeff Goldblum's a better choice. Jeff Goldblum is the best choice. That would have been that would have been and but I gotta keep Eddie Furlong in there. Because the the character of Mark, the character of Mark is great because he feels like a very Stephen King character that they just didn't that they didn't do very well. I love his room, how it has the, the monster mask, and I love how he's that's so Stephen King, a young character who's just, who loves comic books and science fiction and right, monster yeah. mags. So I love that's like another the, version of himself. Those are always about yeah, it is, and like another version of of himself, the younger version and the older version. They team up at the end to destroy the villain, which is so King. But yeah, yeah. it's so fucking great. Uh, <laughs> And um, so I love those characters in Stephen King films. We get, we get those characters, of course, in Stand By Me. You get, you get populated with a whole bunch of them or Silver Bullet type stuff. Um, yeah. And those characters are always the best. I don't think they made him uh, uh, outsider-y enough. They just kind of made him like this dorky kid. I would like to see like Edward Furlong, like a little bit more deviant a little bit more outsidery, not such a mama's boy kind of character in there. I wonder how he is in the book. Like more ridiculed at school, like more yeah, on. yeah, ah, huh. yeah. No, because they didn't. They seemed like he was like a normal kid, but he liked this. Yeah, and his parents were always ragging on him for liking it. But his parents were ultimately nice people. His dad was ultimately a nice guy. I feel like his dad was a very seventies uh-huh. dad, but like he loved his son. Oh, of course, and his and his son yeah. loved them. Like he was like seeking revenge. Like he's gonna go throw his life away to avenge his parents who just got their heads clunked together. 
I know, like Three Stooges style. Yeah. Like, like if he didn't say, I think they're dead, I would not have assumed they died. Right, right. Me either. Yeah. Me either. And that was awesome when he just looks at him and goes, oh, I'm going to kill you. Yeah. I'm gonna, like, Who says that? Yeah, yeah. It's so like a freaking demon yeah. hell spawn. Also, if you're going to give a last line, how about I thank you to the preacher? How about I thank <laughs> you to the reverend? Yeah, dude, I don't think I'd say anything. I just freaking bug out of there. Yeah, super the reverend was pretty cool. He came in yeah, out of dude, nowhere. That is one of my favorite scenes right there. When 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 the vampire and the and the priest goes, you know, shaman, you know, back yeah. shaman, back, you know. Yeah. Like, faith against faith. You know, yes. oh man. Yes. Yeah, it's a great one. And he's like, No, now your end of the bargain, Reverend. Faith against faith. Oh man. He's holding awesome. up the cross, and he just snatches the cross. Boom. Yeah. Like it was nothing. Yeah, so, I... So... Go ahead. Oh, I, no, I was just going to say, so what did you think of that? I feel like there was a lot of, um, like, undertones of, like, like, re, like, religion versus, like, reality kind of thing, like... Uh, like, didn't they bring up, didn't his dad kind of bring up, uh, oh, they were talking to the priest about his monster stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and they're, you know, they say, oh, we think this, this all, this is all happening because of, you know, Mark's love of, you know, uh, horror movies. And, and then that whole part with like the priest getting defeated so easily by the monster, like just losing his faith. Did you see like, uh, uh, Kind of a heavier theme they, in that. They did bring in a point, and it felt very small town, like America. Like when I would visit my parents, the places, you know, towns tend to be like like heavy one denomination or the other, small towns, right? You know, like this is a yeah. Presbyterian cha- town with a couple of Catholics in it. And they would mention that a couple of times. Like, no, I'm Presbyterian. Or like when in this movie, it's like, uh, why does he need a rosary? He's not Catholic. Right, like, right. I've never seen him go to church. And then later, like, the uh, Susan's character is like, my mom's not going to let me put up crucifixes in the house. And he's like, just do it. Yeah. Or And then also our main character, too, when he's making the cross, I was like, first of all, you can't just make a cross. I feel like that shouldn't count. Otherwise, you can just do this with your fingers and, like, ward off vampires. But in the next... Some depressors. But they make it work because... Like he sanctifies the cross. Like he 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 pulls up what he can remember from his childhood and is like, "Our Father who art in heaven," or something like that, you know. And he's trying to remember it. So it's it is an interesting. I I don't think it's it's casual. I think I don't know if it's a huge theme in there, but it's definitely reoccurring. Um, uh, this idea of religion and and when your life is in jeopardy, going back to your childhood because. All these people seem to have kind of forgotten religion or like it was in passing. And now they're calling on it again, the iconography of it. He's trying to remember stuff. They're using that. Uh, uh, He calls his friend, you know, who knows about the occult stuff. So it's, you know, uh, and at one point he says uh, uh, something like, you know, that old adage, like uh, an atheist in a foxhole, you know. Right, right. Uh, And that, that line, I think, kind of, hits at what you were kind of hit uh, you know going towards about like what are they saying about religion it's like oh yeah it's not important to you need it right you know right until you're in that foxhole and then no one's an atheist right yeah right yeah that's really interesting i i, I didn't 
I did notice that those weird little lines about, you know, like, well, why would he need a rosary? You know, he, he, kind of thing. Yeah. Like they were mm-hmm. all, they were in each other's business and stuff about that. Interesting. I, I, the thing I really liked about this too, it, from a visual standpoint of it, is that because when one vampire turns another vampire, the new vampire is always seen later that night turning someone else. So what that allows for you to do, it allows you to see like 12 different people in vampire makeup, which is really cool. You're not seeing the same vampire over and over again. You get to see how different people play a vampire. And I think the little boy does a really Mm. good one. The first little boy does a really Mm. good creepy vampire and they, they really make him up. But also, one of my favorite vampires is Jeffrey Lewis's character. He plays Mike. He plays the uh, gravedigger. He's oh, got a man. really creepy vampire performance. He's got a really yeah, creepy yeah. I've been bitten performance, too. As far as, like, he's sick. I don't feel well. And, like, I slept there all night. And I had this weird dream. And they all the same. That's how you know they've been bit, is that they're tired and they had a weird dream. A sweet dream. Um, yeah, yeah. And so they're they all. Delirious. So a lot of the characters you get to see do play that turning like their turning point and then you get to see them fully turned and then towards the end when they're running through characters like the guy at the police station or the madam at the boarding house you only get to see them play the uh uh i've been bit, i'm turning s- stage so you it's like oh you're you're turning you, you you're it's too late for you you're sleepy and you had a good dream <laughs> it's that good news <laughs> but i really liked how you got to see a lot of cool it's almost like when they were casting they were looking for people who would look good in vampire makeup. I wonder if that was a criteria <laughs> is if they put the vampire makeup on them before final casting to be like, all right, you're going to look good once we turn you. Interesting. Yeah. Or even like read through the lines of once they were turned, you know? Like, yeah. Teacher. Yeah. Know? Oh man. Freaking awesome. <laughs> you're floating, yeah, Benny. Come on, Spike. Let me in. Come on, Pike. <laughs> <laughs> Or even the the older of the second Mirror Boys, when he's like, let me in, let me in, Mark. Like, he does a really good Mm. job on that, too, at the window, those window scenes. Let me in, Mark. Mm. Come on, Mark, let me in. (laughs) (laughs) There is something about, like, a creepy monster voice when it's all, it's, like, guttural like that, when it's not, like, deep, when it's like, come on, man, come on. This pleading, pleading, growling, come on, man. It's very punk, you know? Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, it, it's, yeah, it, it sounds almost more, like, more savage. Yeah, you know, like throats more... closed off. Yeah, like, you know. You know, I like in the, I'm currently, I, so I, I had to pick something to write, you know, for this upcoming um, uh, theater season where I do something with these kids. So we're going to do like, because it's COVID, we can't do stage. We're going to do like another collection of monologue stories. Um, And so I had a couple of ideas that could be turned into a series of monologues, but I knew we were going to be reading Stephen King. So I didn't want to be like immersed in King stories and movies and talk and then be writing something that's not like that. So I'm doing something that's set in the the 1950s about this, but ghoul because in like the 1950s they didn't have zombies i don't think that term was really created in the way we know it um so about ghouls and i really love the conversation that mark has with his friends when he's explaining to them what a ghoul is because we don't get we don't get ghouls anymore and the the um the familiar in this is kind of like a ghoul right the striker character the antique guy 
because he gets shot and he's not yeah, a human because yeah. he's he's taking bullets and he's got like super strength, but he's he's not completely van- he's not a vampire either. He's just a straight up ghoul, and I miss yeah. ghouls as characters because it sounds so stupid. Like ooh, this ghoul, this goober. Yeah, kind of like the 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 uh, caretaker in Phantasm. I yes. think it was kind of a ghoul. Yeah, 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 yeah. I like a good mm-hmm. I like a good ghoul. I'm yeah. Just a G H O U L S O B tonight. Yeah, they're, they're just, we need a good old fashioned ghoul story. Yeah, we're well, getting so, one. You're gonna yeah, get one man, with that's, that's uh, a... Tommy, the rise of Tommy Run. Coming to a Perfect. local YouTube channel near you in the near future. <laughs> but I got it because I wanted Perfect. to, I wanted to, because I'm reading Stephen King, and one of my favorite things about some Stephen King movies and Stephen King books that we, we haven't gotten into here, which we will get into when we get to the stories, what, what this movie was missing was the Stephen King language. Stephen King always has these old-timey phrases. I think we were talking about this on a, pod, a podcast last week. Was it you were on, Jay? We were talking about like how he uses uh-huh. things like uh, he created the, the expression pie hole. Uh, and, you know, uh, like he always has like very like an it, the, the novel it. It's always like these really vulgar, obscure obscenities. Like, you know, and it always has to do with like food or something like that. Like, uh, you blackberry fucker. Or are you, uh, you, you, uh, Twinkie Dick, or, or things like that. You three-headed Twinkie Dick, and you're like, what? What's a three-headed Twinkie Dick? <laughs> and I love that about uh, Stephen King. And you don't get that in Salem's Lot. I don't know if it's in the book or not. This is, since there's not a lot of young characters yeah. in this, I, I probably, I probably don't Im- imagine that it is in the book unless Mark and his friends are are like the it kids uh, in this. Yeah, I don't know about that. The loser club. Yeah. So, uh, with all the, 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 the big old cast of characters that was in this, um, I don't know if it's too early or, or what to hit this, but I want to know what some of your favorite characters are. You already said Bonnie Boom Boom was one of them. Bonnie Boom Boom is one of them. Uh, uh, the uh, And he's great, too. I, I should remember his name. The His... Her lover, the real estate guy. So I yeah, would Fred say, uh, all right, Bonnie, Fred, yeah, Fred Willard. Thank you. Uh, Fred Willard is good. But I'm going to say, because I'm going to try to limit it to three. Uh, Bonnie Boom Boom, for sure. Jeffrey Lewis, for the reasons that I said. Mm-hmm. Ah. Lou Aries as Jason Burke, the English teacher, I think. But it's hard to, you know, who's the main ghoul guy we were just talking about he has good performance as well uh uh james mason james uh, my third choice would have to be a tie between jason burke and james mason i'm I'm gonna go james mason just because i want to give him some credit in this movie as well uh there is that scene in particular where he goes to the cop's office and um he's delivering his suits and he's talking to the cop about like, so why do you expect me here? Like you're, that's really good. Uh, also, the scene you described is really good, where he's talking about faith versus faith. And I really also love the scene where he's selling antiques on the opening of the antique shop, and he's talking about the antiques, and he's, you know, 
you know, engaging. Oh, you're the writer, aren't you? I heard that you were in town. You're the, you're the writer. Oh, you want a private tour? I'm sure I can arrange that for you. Like, he does some really good stuff. I think it's more subtle, non-completely ghoul stuff is pretty good, but you see that kind of Renfield character come out at moments, but you also see, like, a pretty suave business guy come out at other moments. So he has a really good performance. Yeah, I thought about, that... About you, yeah. That, well, you, it's funny, funny that you mentioned Renfield... I got those vibes from that weasel dude. Remember that weasel guy that was sitting like that was always hanging out in the in the front of the store. Ah, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. The drunk guy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I fully got Renfield vibes. Ooh, and I thought of another character, but I'm not gonna say it in case it's one of yours. And I, ooh, I can't believe I didn't <laughs> think of this character. You're probably gonna say it though. Go ahead. So my my one of my favorites was um, Susan's father. Okay, and yeah, the dad's a goodness. What? Yeah. And one of the reasons why is, you know, I felt like the people that were like smart and competent, like, like they like, like rose up, you know, they, 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 they like, I don't know how they you were say, skeptical, they, they, like, except the challenge. Yeah. Yeah. They were skeptical, but they, 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 they rose to the challenge, man. You know, he was he went up there with David Soul and and up into the Drax house. You know, it kill him, and he, I mean, he got killed. But uh, again, he, he got killed Lost Boy style. Yeah, dude, I know. I yeah. saw that. I, I'm like, oh, uh, Lost Boys tribute, perhaps nod yeah. to the hat. Um, I like that character for that reason. I liked his know? scene where um, uh, our protagonist comes in and. Uh, <laughs> They're like, he's talking to him about what could have killed, what could have uh, killed this boy, or put this boy in a coma. And he's like, by the way, we all know you and my daughter and Susan were up at the lake last night. Everyone knows. Yeah. <laughs> uh, can you be a little bit more discreet? Hey, we take my daughter to the woods and raw dog her. Uh, <laughs> could you be a little bit more discreet, please? Like, it's it's <laughs> also they look the same age. The dad and the protagonist, they yeah. look like the same age. And I'm like, how old is... I guess yes, Susan has do. come back to live with them, but it's 1970s, but I'm like, one, as a dad, it's awkward. Like, I wouldn't... I would just avoid that conversation. I'm like, Susan's a grown woman. She might be living at home, but, like, it's none of my business. Two, it's such an awkward conversation to have. Hey, dude. I, I kind Susan of Susan respects got, herself. Kind of... Respect her. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, yes, I sir. I kind of got... <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah, dude. He totally respected him. That's yeah. what was the cool part. I kind of got that she was like maybe mid twenties, he was like early thirties, and maybe the dad was like early forties. Yeah, yeah, it was kind of like that. Yeah, there's yeah, okay. So he was the middle gap of it. Yeah, but still, it's like they they could be friends. They look like they could be friends, you know. Um. So yeah, I like the dad and the the teacher. Uh, like what you were saying, and for some weird reason, the dude that I kind of like had sympathy for here it is, here it is, was was Susan's ex boyfriend. Is that oh, the oh no no the plumber? Yeah. Oh no no like, oh, fuck he, that he, guy. Like, hid he hid like Ben's apartment. He's like you're trying to take my woman and like just Punch socked me. him in the freaking face. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he's like when he meets he goes he goes he refuses to accept it. He goes no Susan you told me you loved me. I know you, you. He's like you told me you love, me, and he refused. He goes. He goes. You tell someone you love them. That's a commitment for life. 
I'm not. Yeah, I'm not out fucking you in the woods. We had a <laughs> we had a real nice time, Susan. You know, you don't know how she left it. Maybe yeah. you know. Maybe she just like screwed him over for for Ben. Yeah, you know, and you know what? Maybe that's, kind of like maybe that's karma. Maybe Ben's because it seems like Ben until the end of the movie is kind of like I'm not really into this girl that much. So mine is great performance. Bonnie's husband. Oh, yeah. what a great performance! When he brings that gun out and he's all sweaty and he's like, "Nice shorts. Where'd you get those? I got them in Boston." <laughs> Let's get out of the living room. Let's have a talk man to man. Grab the gun. Both hands. Uh, 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 uh. Be careful. There's about five pounds of pressure on this shotgun, and I got about three on it right now. Yeah. Yeah. So and good. You're just sitting there. You're just sitting there drinking beers watching yeah. Fred come to the door. Cuckled his wife. Yeah. yeah. He lets them, like, get started and catches them in there. And then Bonnie turns on Fred Willard, and she's like, he tried Dude, to rape me. Is that true? You tried to rape her? No, you're going to get arrested. Why would they arrest me? For killing someone trying to rape my wife. That is what yeah. happened, right, Bonnie? Uh, and like that is that's that is a good performance. And yeah. I wanted that character to come back in it some more because he was so off the chain and kind of had a right to be, honestly. I mean, he was a shitty husband and stuff like that. But in that moment, like and he pulls the trigger and then you know, Fred Willard scampers off in there. And it sucks that he goes and beats his wife, but um at that point, you're like, Bonnie's a cunt. Like she's going to let Fred Willard yeah. die for yeah. raping her. And they her. took off, man. Yeah. They took off. They lived. Yeah. Which, I don't know what happened to, to Susan's ex-boyfriend. but Oh, he's, so, he's in the end. Susan's ex-boyfriend, is, he's one of the ones crawling out at the end. Oh, what? Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah, he did get turned. Yeah. I Right, yeah. In prison. But another, like, yes, that's right. He got, by he got, the he got turned out in oh. prison. <laughs> but another uh, pretty good performance was the cop. I thought the cop did really well. Too, yes, especially the cop was good. You were talking about yeah when yeah. he was talking to what's his face about his suit. Yeah, that was good. He had some good performances. Um, his his thing was he would just rephrase uh, whatever the question asked. Yeah, I, we were just over there. You were just over there. <laughs> Uh, it could have been a, a car or it could have been a truck. Could have been a truck. <laughs> that sounds like it's yeah, after the, sec, after the big sex. There, I got a little bit of, oh my God, what's his name from him? Um, to the Moon Alice. Carol. Uh, here, oh, I, th- I was going to say Carol O'Connor from, uh, uh, was it uh, The Heat of the Night? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah I can see that. I was thinking also there's a little bit of, uh, uh, um, uh, oh, uh, uh, he's Gleason. a hustler, Jackie yeah, Gleason. Jack, Jackie Gleason from uh, Smoking the Bandit. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, there was there was some of that. I think when too. I get home, I'm gonna slap your mama right in the mouth. <laughs> <laughs> dude, we gotta do Smoking the Bandit. We gotta we gotta squeeze in Smokey somewhere. Oh, dude, yeah, just do a whole Burt Reynolds, Reynolds set. A Burt Reynolds set, yeah. Cannonball, you can do yeah. Cannonball Run. <laughs> we can do. I'm sure some, there's some great autobiography that's probably fantastic about Burt Reynolds too. Oh, man. I can just imagine. All right. But we're not doing Burt Reynolds on this set. We're doing Stephen King. And you just listened to the first episode on Salem's Lot. Oh, man. What other little Stephen King tidbits are we going to uncover in our set? Well, we know that next set we're going to be doing... Ooh, which one do we want to do next set? We have 
two options for you. So we're going to throw them both out here, and we're going to make no commitment now as to what which one we're doing next. <laughs> uh, we are going to be reading The Skeleton Key. We are currently reading The Skeleton Key, uh, a collection of Stephen King short stories. Uh, one of the big uh, starter pieces in there is the novella The Mist that, that starts that, that collection off. Uh, and we will also be reading a Stephen King um, disciple and son, heir to the Stephen King talent and throne, Joe Hill's uh, comic book, mm-hmm. Basketful of Heads. Yep. Okay. Yeah, that ought to be fun, fun. Now, I've read Basketful of Heads. So yes, I do need I do need to reread it, and it's 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 one I, I do want to reread, and tis the season to read Basket of Heads, and as the fall air, uh, is so we'll see we'll see I gotta see where Jay is on the skeleton crew, we got a couple weeks, so one of those two will be next. Just, just finished uh, here there be tigers. I'm like right in the beginnings of the monkey, the monkey one. Ah, okay, okay. The monkey. The monkey's going. I had just finished the one after the monkey. So I'm one after the mm-hmm. monkey. Mm-hmm. All right. And uh, Basketful of Heads, I read when they came when it came out in single issue. So I'm uh, I'm really oh, what do you want to really looking you forward. Oh, you want to fucking no, no. I'm, <laughs> <laughs> I'm really looking forward to, to reading the collective, uh, the collected version. I am know, going uh, to we might I'm going to buy Basketful of Heads because I read it all digital trade. Uh, last October, um, uh-huh. and I want to own that one. I want to. I'm. I'm hoping they have like a maybe a cool edition of it, like a hardcover. It's not a long trade, uh, but it'd be cool to have no. a nice hardcover of that book. Actually, yeah, it would it would? I'm just going to do the digital trade this time around. But I yeah. should buy it because it was good. Yeah, I kind of want to. I want to have it on the shelf because it's one that I like. If someone came over and they're like, "Oh, you got a lot of genre stuff," like. I really like Stephen King. I'm like, have you read? St-? Like, uh, but maybe I shouldn't get a hardcover then, because then you don't get it back. <laughs> yeah, just stamp stamp your name and address, like the, the library, library. On the back cover. Yeah, <laughs> that's a very that feels very Stephen King too. Libraries, property, property of rats. Yeah. <laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen, this has been Salem's Lot. And if I look out, oh, it's almost dawn. The dawn is rising. The vampires are going to sleep. And the dawn patrol, the early surfers, are out catching those first waves. And we have caught the last wave here for today's episode on Salem's Lot. And we will catch you next wave. Pop wave. Banzai!